I'm going to tell you, I probably have told you this many times before, um, when I was coaching, the hardest part about coaching was not being able to get out on the floor or out on the field. I remember when I was an assistant coach in football, um, one of my jobs was to hold Coach Stan Humphreys back off the field. Uh, I, I worked with him in the offense with the quarterbacks and receivers, and so uh, Coach Stan, uh, most of you know he was an incredible football player, played in the NFL, but as a coach, the problem was he wanted to get out on that field so bad, but the referees would throw a flag if you got out on the field too far or if you went too far down the sideline. So if you can imagine little old me trying to hold big old Stan back, it, it was hard. Um, but in basketball, when I was the head coach, I, I found out what that was like because it was my turn. Um, and, and there were so many times when I wanted to jump out on the floor and Thankfully, the referees showed me a lot of patience and a lot of slack, and they would say, Coach Thomas, you got to get back in your coach's box. Coach Thomas, you got to get back in your coach's box. That, that became a, a joke to them. They were like, there ain't no coach's box that's going to hold him. And so uh, I, I would, uh, you know, get out on the floor as fast as I could and as hard as I could, and they'd push me back, and I'd get back out there. And so finally, I got my assistant to do the same thing, and he'd grab me by my belt loop and pull me back and say, Coach, you're going to get a technical. Coach, you're going to get a technical. I'm going to tell you, the hardest part, about being a coach is that, for the most part, you're a spectator. And the athletes are the participants. Here's what I love about God, and here's what I love about God's kingdom. He calls you and me into salvation, and we become His children. But we are not spectators of what He's doing and what's going on in His kingdom. We are participants. He invites us to participate, to be a part of what He's doing. And I I love baptism. And I love these altars when I see people praying and when we're praying over one another and praying with one another. And I I love to hear the voices rise up when we're singing and when we're digging into the Word of God. Listen to me. Don't sit around and watch what God is doing. Be a part of it. Be a participant. And I believe that's what we're going to see in Scripture today. If you haven't turned there yet, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10. We've been in Mark chapter 10 for about four weeks now, and so uh, we're going to hit the finish line with Mark chapter 10, and I'm kind of disappointed because I love uh, Mark chapter, chapters 8 through 10. I love these, you know, these chapters, 8, 9, and 10, because in these chapters what Jesus is doing is he's discipling. He, he is discipling disciples. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God and kingdom ministry. It reminds me of a story, theologian William Barclay. Uh, He wrote many commentaries, and theologian uh, William Barclay once said this. He said, it is possible for you to be a follower of Jesus without being his disciple. Let me say that again. It is possible for you to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, to be a camp attendee without being a soldier, to be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling your own weight An older man was talking to a great scholar about a younger man. The old man said, so this young man tells me that he was one of your students. And the great scholar answered devastatingly, oh, he may have attended my lectures, but make no mistake, he was not one of my students. You see, there is a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It is one of the supreme handicaps of the church today. That in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus rather than true disciples. What a powerful story that that William Barclay shares. He, He says the problem of the church, and listen, this was way back in the early 1900s, right? Is it any different today? 
We've got so many distant followers of Jesus kind of standing on the fringes watching what's going on when what Jesus is really calling us to is discipleship. Being a part of what is going on, not a watcher. Being a a participant, not a spectator. And and I believe that's what we're going to see in these passages of Scripture today. Jesus shows His disciples. He teaches His disciples about kingdom ministry, the kingdom of God, how, how it feels and what it means to be a part of it. Jesus is not just building kingdom followers. What Jesus is doing is He's building kingdom disciples. And the church ought to be doing the same thing. Amen? That's what we ought to be doing in Sunday school. That's what we ought to be doing in men's ministry and women's ministry. That's what we ought to be doing in children's ministry. Not creating followers of Jesus, but creating disciples of Jesus. Disciples discipling. That's what the church ought to be. And I'm so thankful to God that that's what's happening right now at Start Baptist Church. All these baptisms we're seeing, all these these small groups coming together and meeting regularly and studying the Bible and fellowshipping and worshiping, I believe we're seeing disciples make disciples and we want to keep on doing that. Let me just tell you something. There is nothing greater to be in this life than to be a kingdom servant. There's nothing greater. Nothing greater than to be a kingdom servant. As a matter of fact, if we look back, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, this is what Jesus said about being a kingdom servant. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve to himself and he said, Anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. Jesus said, if you want to really be my disciple and if you really want to be a kingdom servant, then you got to be last. you got to put yourself last. you got to seek out others and their well-being. You must be a servant of all. That's what Jesus said. Now, the disciples had a hard time understanding this because that's not the way of the world, is it? They had a hard time embracing the ways of the kingdom because it was flesh and spirit battling daily. They needed the love of Jesus Christ in their discipleship. You know what they needed from Jesus? They needed His patience and they needed His persistence. Listen to me again. What the disciples needed is exactly what I need today. I believe it's probably what you need today as well. They needed the love of Jesus that showed patience and persistence. Let's look at it together. In Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, Jesus once again reminds them what kingdom ministry looks like. In verse 32, it says they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Don't you love that? Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside, and he told them what was going to happen. Notice he took the twelve aside, right? In other words, Jesus got close to them. Jesus got alone with them. Jesus got face-to-face with them. Guess what he's doing? He's discipling. He's discipling his disciples. It says, he pulled them aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. 
Jesus is discipling his disciples. And it starts right here at the very beginning. Don't you love this? Jesus leads the way. Jesus leads the way. You don't ever have to worry about getting lost. You don't have to ever worry about getting turned around because if your eyes are on Jesus, Jesus will lead the way. And as Brother Andy and the praise team sang today, my God is for me, my God is with me always. Always, God is for me and God is with me. And if I put my eyes on Jesus, he will lead the way. I don't have to walk in fear. I don't have to walk in doubt. The Greek word used here for leading the way, it's actually the word preago. You know what that means? That means to go ahead. That means to bring out Uh, which means that Jesus was going ahead of his disciples. And if they kept their eyes on him, they would go where Jesus goes. He was also bringing them out, right? In other words, bringing them from one place out to another place. He was bringing them to a place of kingdom servanthood, kingdom service. Notice that the disciples, it says they were astonished. That word astonished, it means great surprise and wonder. It means awe. And and so they were surprised at what Jesus was doing. They were surprised at where Jesus was going. They understand what's going on in Jerusalem. And they also understand that people in Jerusalem don't like Jesus. But notice they were astonished. They They were filled with wonder and awe and surprise. I believe that day there were those who were truly committed to Jesus. It was 12 of them called disciples. But I also believe there were some people on the fringe, some people on the borders, some people who were kind of watching. Because doesn't the Bible say that there were followers who were afraid? Right? Followers who were afraid? I believe Jesus told his disciples of his suffering and his death. As a matter of fact, this is the third time in the Gospel of Mark he's done that. Did you know that? Twice already he's told them that he would go to die. And now here he is again for a third time telling them he would go to this place and he would die. He tells them yet again. But notice that that's where Jesus is leading them. He's leading them into a place where he will suffer and die. So he pulls them aside. He's discipling them. He's teaching them. He's loving them. He's being patient with them. He's being persistent with them. See, Jesus leading them to the place of his suffering and death Understand, that is a place where they will participate. They will participate. He doesn't hide the truth of who he is. He doesn't hide the truth of his destiny. He tells them what will happen in Jerusalem. You know what he does? He tells them he is the suffering servant Savior. Do you know where we've heard that before? In the Scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about the suffering Savior, the Messiah. This is the third time. Jesus said, I will suffer, I will die. Notice his patience with them. Notice his persistence. But don't you love the fact that Jesus, he doesn't just end right there with death. Because see, Jesus knows what's going to happen on that third day. What does he tell them happens on the third day? He will rise, right? So Jesus not only leads them to a place of suffering and death, he's also leading them to the place of hope, to the place of resurrection. And I'm going to tell you, it must have shook the disciples to their core. It must have shaken them to their core to hear the teacher tell them that he would suffer and that he would die. It must have been difficult to understand, difficult to embrace, 
This way of the kingdom is different than the way of the world. But Jesus knows. He knows that they are shaken. He knows that they can't comprehend fully what he's saying. And so Jesus leads them to the hope of the resurrection. Because here's the truth. What Jesus has been teaching them, what Jesus will continue to teach them, and I believe what Jesus will keep teaching us today if we'll listen. Death is not the end for Christ. And if death is not the end for Christ, guess what? Death is not the end for the Christ followers either. For the disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who have repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Him. This is the hope of the resurrection. It's the hope of life. Not just life here and now, but life eternal. And that's what Jesus is doing. And I'm going to tell you, what I see in this first passage is that the way of the kingdom is not the way of the world. The way of the kingdom is not the way of the world. Listen, the way of the kingdom is not even the ways of the Jews who were looking for the Messiah. Because guess what the Jews were looking for in a Messiah? They were looking for one who would restore Israel right here, right now. Overthrow Rome and put Israel back on the throne. That's what they were looking for. They they were looking for physical rescue, for physical redemption. But Jesus came to save us spiritually. He came to save us for eternity. And so the way of the kingdom is not the way of the world. Jesus leads them in the way of the kingdom. You might wonder, why why did Jesus pull them aside and tell them this before they got into Jerusalem? Well, remember what I said about the disciples. They had a hard time understanding. They had a hard time embracing. Yes, they were committed, but, but they were talking about it all along the way. And guess what happens? Look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, you know what they're called? Sons of thunder. <laughs> then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, that's a pretty bold That's a pretty bold statement, right? Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's what they're telling Jesus. (laughs) Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism baptism I am baptized with? Look at verse 39. We can, they answered. How, How quick of a response is that? Like, did they even think? I wonder if they even took a breath between asking Jesus if they could sit on his left and his right and Jesus' response. It's almost like they they just spit out, We can. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink. And be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. I'll tell you, that response right there gives us something very, very important about Jesus. Jesus was completely obedient to the Father. Completely obedient to the Father. The disciple, right? The disciple needs to be discipled by the teacher. And the teacher is discipling them even in his response. You will drink the cup I drink. 
you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. In other words, they were furious. <laughs> I, guess they, I guess James and John, the sons of thunder, thought they were speaking low enough that the other boys couldn't hear. Well, the other boys could hear, and no doubt they could feel. They could feel what was taking place. So they became indignant with James and John. But look at verse 42, because this is so important. Jesus called them together. You know what happens when we get full of ourselves? And we get angry with one another? We need somebody to bring us together. We need somebody to unify the disunified. And I love verse 42. It's very easy to overlook. Don't overlook it. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 43, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his life. Thank God for the Word, the Word become flesh, and the Word spoken. Jesus is discipling His disciples, and He's teaching them what it means to be a kingdom servant. See, being a kingdom servant goes against our flesh. Being a kingdom servant, it goes against our flesh. James and John, in this passage, as we see, they got caught up in the glory of God. They got caught up in the glory of Jesus. And they totally bypassed, or they totally missed, the suffering and the death. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus has just told them, I am going to suffer and I'm going to die at the hands of the Gentiles, at the hands of the chief priests, at the hands of the teachers of the law. And what's the first thing James and John says right after that? Hey, can we sit at your left and right in glory? What's up with that? We, We can get so full of ourselves and we can, we can set our eyes on things that are way, way out there and way, way ahead without, without setting our eyes on what's right in front of us. Jesus was right in front of them. You know what I think about when I think about James and John? I think about two guys who wanted to cross the finish line without ever getting in the race. They wanted to cross the finish line without ever getting in the race. They wanted the honor and the glory And they answered Jesus, right? When Jesus said, can you drink the drink? Can you drink from the cup that I I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Without even counting the cost, without even thinking, they say, we can. We can, they answered Jesus. When Jesus references the cup, do you know what he's talking about? What he's talking about is the sharing of his fate and experience in his destiny. He's talking about death. When he spoke of the baptism, he spoke of being overwhelmed and being immersed by the same fate and the same destiny. What he's telling James and John and what he's telling the other disciples who are listening is that where I go, you go. 
And if I suffer and die, you too will suffer and die. I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of prosperity. I don't even know if I want to call them preachers. We got a lot of people standing in the pulpit preaching prosperity, preaching comfort, preaching how easy it is. You better count the cost. You better count the cost when you come to Jesus because there is a cost. I'm going to tell you, I can't earn salvation. I can't deserve salvation. I can't pay for salvation. Jesus paid that price. Jesus paid that cost. But I'm going to tell you, to surrender my life to Him, that's a cost. To deny myself, right? To deny my flesh and be led by the Spirit, that costs. To identify with Jesus. You know what Jesus tells His disciples in the book of John? Hey, don't forget, boys, the world hated me. And since the world hated me, the world will hate you too. There's a cost involved. Are you willing to... Are you willing to pay it? Did you know that James would go on to be the first disciple martyred? Did you know that? Acts chapter 12, James would be the first of the disciples to be martyred. John would go on to experience great suffering and great persecution under the Roman emperor Domitian. He would eventually be exiled to Patmos. You can see that in Revelation chapter 1. And so they wanted to sit by Jesus on his left and his right. They wanted to sit up in the glory. And Jesus tells them, God's already decided who will do that. That's not my decision. That's the Father's decision. What Jesus was saying to them, pay attention to where you are right now. Be a servant right here, right now, and don't worry about that. See, being a kingdom servant is a spiritual empowerment. Understand. Being a kingdom servant, being able to do what I do to stand in this pulpit and preach the word of God, it is a spiritual empowerment. It is not a fleshly accomplishment. Do you see the difference? A spiritual empowerment versus a fleshly accomplishment. Let me just tell you something. There ain't nothing you can do in your flesh to accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. Nothing. I don't care how much money you gave. I don't care how many years you've been a member of the church. I don't care how many ministry teams you serve on. Here's the thing. You can't do any of that without the Spirit of God in you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. I can sit up here and read the Bible from cover to cover. But if I'm not filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, there ain't nothing going to take place in the kingdom of God because of me. It's not about fleshly accomplishment. It's about the spiritual empowerment. You better be in tune with the Spirit if you truly want to be a servant of God, if you truly want to be a servant of the kingdom and make a difference in the kingdom. See, being a servant of God, being a kingdom servant, it's about denying self. It's about surrendering fully to Jesus. It's about being filled with the Spirit daily. It's about being led, empowered, and enabled by God to serve God by serving others. And I'm going to tell you, this goes completely against our flesh. It goes completely against our nature. We love being served. How many of you went to a fast food restaurant this past week? Anybody? Raise your hand if you did. I want to see this. How many of you went to a fast food? Sir? How many of you went anywhere to eat somewhere else this week? Okay? All right? Did you go in the kitchen and cook your own food? You didn't? Did, did you walk in and pick up your food and walk out by yourself? I mean, did, did somebody else pay for it? Like, did the, the waitress or the waiter pay? No. Listen, we like being served. We, we, we get accustomed to being served, right? 
Marty loves the fact that I'm the one that washes the clothes and folds the clothes at the house. In reverse, I love the fact that she washes the dishes. Because we would have a mountain full of them if, if she didn't do it. Because I don't like doing dishes. Right? We like it when someone else serves us. It goes against our nature, right? To bend over backwards for somebody else. Our nature is we want somebody else to bend over backwards for us. That's our nature. That's the flesh and the spirit. Jesus said if you want to serve in the kingdom of God, you must be last, not first. You must be a servant of all. And so it's not about what we accomplish with our hands. It's about what God accomplishes in our heart. Right? Being a kingdom servant is about what God is doing in me and through me. I love Paul Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. No one should seek their own good, but rather the good of others. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, and he says, What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. That's Paul. He's trying to teach, he's trying to disciple the disciples at Corinth about what it means to be a kingdom servant. It's about serving others. It's about preaching Jesus. It's not about self. It's not about your accomplishment. It's not about fleshly accomplishment. It's about spiritual empowerment. Now, of course, the other disciples, they were furious with James and John, right? The Bible says they were indignant. That, that word's only used a couple of times in the Bible. So it's a rage. And I would tell you, we've got to fight against our flesh. We've got to fight against our fleshly desires. And yes, we've got to fight against our fleshly desires in church. Because if we're not careful, we'll believe, right, that something belongs to us. Or we shouldn't have to do this because we've been here longer than they have. Or they shouldn't do that for them. They should be doing that for me. If we're not careful, we get so full of ourselves and we start patting ourselves on the back with this self-righteousness. Let me tell you what self-righteousness is. It's sin. Because you ain't righteous in and of yourself. Righteousness is Christ. And if you got any, it's because you're in Christ. And Christ is in you. And that's it. We, we got to stop thinking about ourselves. And we need to get over ourselves. Get past ourselves. So we can really focus on Jesus. And focus on kingdom service. Which means focusing on somebody else. Somebody else. So they're, they're mad. They're mad at, the, at James and John. They're mad with each other. Can you imagine the discussion that's going on there? Can you imagine the jockeying? I can just see Peter like get bullying up. and Hey, boy, I'm the leader of this group, like pushing James and John back. I can just see them, right? Man, it must have. I wish I could have watched that. But the most important thing is that the teacher knows what's going on, knows what's being said, and what does he do? He calls them together. He calls them together. See, here's what needs to happen. When we get full of ourselves, <laughs> when we believe we deserve something at the church, when we believe we've earned a right or earned a privilege or earned something at the church, and we begin to puff up and bow up, and, and then we start looking at each other, right? Indignant, furious, mad with each other. Here's what we need to do. We need to run to Jesus. Because Jesus will get us together. He'll get us together. He'll disciple us. Instead of fighting against each other, what we need to do is we need to fight against our fleshly desires and let the Spirit lead us in unity. 
See, Jesus teaches us in this passage, to be great in the kingdom is to be a servant in the world. You see that? To be great in the kingdom is to be a servant in the world. Jesus is so patient. He's so persistent. He knows that his disciples are struggling. He knows that their flesh and their spirit, they're battling. He knows that he must repeat the same things over and over again. You see that? Mamas and daddies, how many times do you have to tell your children the same thing over and over again? Let me tell you what's funny. I told you about clothes, so I like to wash the clothes at the house. I remember... A long, long time ago, how many times my mama would tell me how to take my socks off. Right? She, she told me how to take my socks off. She told me how to take my pants off. See, here's what I like to do. I like to take them off quickly. And I know somebody else is going to wash them for me. So what do I do? I take my socks off and I leave them inside out. I take my pants off and guess what I do? I leave them inside out. And my mama used to tell me, how many times I got to tell you? They're not going to get clean if you don't turn them the right side out. Do you know what's happening in my house today? It's too bad Jonah's in the youth group since he's in here now. He could be in children's church and not have to hear this. Jonah Thomas, right? Every piece of clothing he owns, when he takes it off, it's inside out. And I've told him over and over again, Hey, son, put them in the laundry basket. No, they on the floor. Right? In the middle of the floor, in the living room, in his room. And, 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 and before I said, look, my girls are just as bad. And the only reason I can't talk about Jacob is because he's in Ruston doing his own laundry. Hopefully it's getting clean. But aren't you thankful that Jesus is patient with us? And he's persistent. Right? Jesus is patient and he's persistent. You know what that is? That's the teacher discipling the disciples. He has to tell them the same thing over and over and over again. Guys, I'm going to suffer. Guys, I'm going to die. I'm doing this because I am the ransom. They don't get it. See, the worldly way is about self-achievement. The worldly way is about self-promotion. The kingdom way is about surrender. The kingdom way is about sacrifice. Let me tell you about this. Jesus, and I love this, I love this verse when Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. It's it's easy to focus on that and miss the rest of it because the rest of it says this, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me just tell you something. Jesus is not just the example of kingdom servanthood. He is the ransom. Jesus is not just the example of kingdom servanthood. He is the ransom. What does that mean? Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did has led them to Jerusalem. Do you know what's waiting for him in Jerusalem? A cross. Everything he said, everything he did was with a cross. The cross in full view. That word ransom in the Greek language, it means a price paid to release or to deliver someone from captivity. A price paid to release or deliver someone from captivity. And what's important to know and what's important to remember is that Jesus gave his life. No one took it. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. And listen, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. 
But let's make this very clear. No one took his life. He gave his life. He gave it. Listen to this. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. The reason, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Only to take it up again. Isn't that what he just told him in Mark? I'm going to die, but three days later I'm going to rise. Listen to verse 18. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down in my own accord. Let me just tell you something. Jesus is not the victim of our sin. You know what Jesus is? He's the victor over our sin. Okay. If that don't... Yeah, yeah, that's fine. No amens. No... Yeah, that's fine. Do you understand that Jesus is not the victim? He's the victor. He, he died on the cross not because they took it, but because He gave it. Jesus said, I will. Jesus had the last word on the cross too, didn't He? You know what He said on the cross? It is finished. In other words, you didn't do your work. I did mine. Jesus is not the victim of our sin. He's the victor over our sin. And I'm going to tell you, when we get a hold of that, and when we understand that, how could we not worship Him? How could we not praise Him? How could we not surrender to Him? He has set us free from the penalty and the bondage of sin forever and ever. He's also set us free from sitting on the sidelines and watching what's going on, He set us free to get in the game and to be a part of what God's doing. Think about what He set you captive from, right? Your captivity, right? He set you free from all kinds of captivity. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could be the ransom for you and for me. You want to know why? Because He's the only perfect one who's ever lived. The Lamb had to be spotless. The lamb had to be blameless. And the lamb had to lay down his life. And Jesus did it. Jesus is discipling his disciples. Right? He's not just an example of servanthood. He's the ransom of it. There's no way I've earned the right to stand in this pulpit and preach the word. There's no way I deserve it. It's Jesus. It's a spiritual empowerment, not a fleshly accomplishment. And how dare me ever think otherwise? How dare any teacher, any deacon, any, any ministry team servant ever think otherwise? You didn't deserve what, you, what you're doing. You didn't earn what you're doing. That's a spiritual empowerment. Jesus shows them one more thing. As we end chapter 10. He shows them one more thing about kingdom service. And being a kingdom servant. Look at this. This is a beautiful passage. It says, then the disciples, right? They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth... He began to shout, Jesus, Son of David. Don't miss that title. He began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And look at verse 48. Many rebuked him 
and told him to be quiet. It kind of sounds like when the disciples had little children coming to Jesus, what did they do to the parents? They rebuked them. They basically said, hey, we ain't got time for this. So it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And look at verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Look at verse 51. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Is that not the same question he asked his disciples? (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? When James and John, right, when they wanted glory, right, Jesus said, um, get your eyes on what's what matters the most? Get your eyes on right here, right now, being a kingdom servant. Don't worry about glory. God's got that taken care of. He asked the same question, what do you want me to do for you? Notice the blind man. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Rabbi, I want to see. As far as we know, this man's been blind since birth. Right? Never seen the sunrise. Never seen the wind blow through the trees and shake the trees. Never seen a tear fall from his mama's cheek. Never saw a smile on a brother's face. I just want to see. Look at verse 52. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately. Mark loves that word, by the way. Immediately. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus opened this man's eyes. He could have went anywhere. You understand that? He now had vision. He could have went anywhere. He could have put his eyes on anything, anywhere. But what does Mark tell us in this, in this passage? It says when he got sight, what did he immediately do? He kept his eyes on Jesus, who was leading the way. He followed Jesus. I've never read it like this before. I've never read it like this before. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated kingdom servanthood by giving grace and mercy to others. Grace and mercy. It wasn't something that this man earned, right? He was begging. He didn't have anything to give. It wasn't that this man deserved it. He he hadn't been working his way up to this point. He was just sitting in the street begging. But he heard that Jesus was close by. right? And I'm going to tell you, this is awesome. Because Bartimaeus was aware of his condition. He was aware of his condition. Yes, he was physically blind. Blind all of his life. He, He was aware of his condition. But you know what's even greater than that? Bartimaeus was aware of the Christ. Think about that. He was aware of the Christ. He may not have seen Him with physical eyes, but He heard Him with His ears, and His heart was pricked. His heart was stirred by the Spirit. He heard that Jesus was close enough that He could make a proclamation. He could make a shout. He could make a request. And when He says, Jesus, Son of David, do you understand the gravity of that title? Listen to me. Jesus, the Son of David, He was blatantly revealing what He believed in His heart. Jesus, the son of David, is a messianic title. 
that, that son of David is not given to anyone else but Messiah. The one who saves. And so when Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, you know what he's saying? Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one who saves. He's saying that with his mouth. He's professing with his mouth what he believes in his heart. I love this. Even when others around him rebuked him and tried to silence him, he was persistent in what he needed from the only one who could provide, and that was Jesus. And don't you love this? Bartimaeus was saved both physically and spiritually through faith in Christ. What did Jesus say to him? Go. It is your faith that has healed you. Your faith that has healed you. Bartimaeus could see with his eyes now what he had already seen in his heart. He had already seen Jesus, the Messiah, in his heart. Now he's, he's looking at him with his eyes. And I'm going to tell you, he don't want to put his eyes nowhere else, does he? Isn't that awesome? Man, he could have ran home and talked to his mama, looked at his mama for the first time. He could have he ran and, and looked at all the, the fruit on the fruit stands in the streets. He could have he went and looked at the sunshine. and Man, he could have went and looked at the river. and He could have looked at anything, but where did he want to look? He wanted to look at his Savior. He wanted to look to his Savior, and he didn't want to go nowhere else. What an awesome, awesome passage of Scripture. Kingdom servant. What does it mean to be a kingdom servant? What does it look like? What does it cost? Better question is, are you a kingdom servant? Kingdom of God? Because if you truly want to be a kingdom servant, then what we see in this passage of Scripture is that you must be surrendered in faith to the king. You want to know why there's so many followers and so many watchers and not enough disciples? It's because we've said yes to Jesus as Savior and we're having a hard time saying yes to Jesus, king. King of my heart. King of my life. That's what's going on. That's why when we say, hey, we need some help with this, we need some help with that, we got the same five people doing it over and over again. Because guess what? I ain't got time for that. I'm way too busy. I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this and I got to do that. You want to know why? Because you're king of your life. We, we, want the, we want the Jesus Savior all the time, but Jesus King when it's convenient. I'm sorry, am I stepping on toes? Mine are cut off. I ain't got no toes left. Because God convicted me of this. Oh, when it's convenient and when it's comfortable, sign me up. When it costs me, when it costs me time, when it costs me a little pain and a little hardship and a little suffering, when I have to put my life on the line, somebody else can do that. If you want to be a kingdom servant, you must be surrendered by faith to the king. And notice, that's a capital K. Right? Because there's only one king. He ain't the president of the United States. He ain't the governor of this state or that state. He ain't no man on a human throne. 
He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and His name is Jesus. Some of us, we're going to get by, right? We're going to get by with the skin on our teeth, right? Surrendering Jesus as Savior. But we're going to live our whole lives fighting against Jesus the King. Why? Why would we do that? That only leads to more hardship and more suffering. Surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And live a life that glorifies God. There's nothing better, nothing greater than being a servant in the kingdom of God. Nothing. I pray that you've surrendered. I pray that you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. And if you have, amen. If you've been baptized and, and, and you're plugged in, amen. But, but every day, wake up and say, Lord, You're not just my Savior, you're my King. You're my King today. What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to reach? How do you want me to serve? I've been challenged by that. I've been challenged by that each and every day. And I'm going to continue to be challenged by it. And I thank God. You want to know why? Because when God gives me a challenge, it's for my good. So embrace that challenge. Walk in that challenge and keep your eyes on Jesus, right? He leads the way. He leads the way.